0: Got it all happening, right, we'll put that down down there. Not bad for What's that? Not bad, for not bad for a bloke, yeah, not, not bad, bad for a bloke, that's right. Well, there's some here, that's good, we haven't all gone away for the last shred of maybe a bit of sunshine or warm weather. <laughs> Look, I, um, I don't speak very often, obviously, I quite like it that way, um, and look, I don't speak often because I really I only want to speak when I actually have something to say. And not to say that uh, others don't have something to say, but some of our team are blessed with lots of things to say. And uh, that's fine with me. But today, um, I've got something to say. Um, Today's message is one that's been brewing uh, in me for a long time, perhaps 15 years or more, but, you know, I've never quite been able to get a handle on it and I've never quite been able to get a handle on how to communicate it in truth and in grace without not serving up an unhealthy side of judgment. (laughs) I feel like the time has come, but I might be wrong. So if I am wrong, please accept my apology in advance. And uh, accept my apology if this is all just an unhelpful rant, uh, but it's something I'm really passionate about and I hope it comes out with the, uh, with the heart that it's intended. So now that we are, everybody's as terrified as I am, <laughs> we can get on with it. So today's, quite often messages don't really have a title, today's definitely does. And uh, today I've called this message, Don't Call Me Pastor. Now from time to time um, we talk about our values and cultures here and and we've probably mentioned this one in passing once or twice and you've probably heard it if you've ever been to one of our Added to the Church afternoons um, where we talk about these things. Now not using titles around here may seem like something really small. might even seem like a petty thing. Uh, But hopefully as we work through this you'll see why it's so important. Uh, And I hope I can communicate that this actually isn't a small thing, but rather it's a habit that may have crept into the church as a symptom of a much greater and perhaps even more sinister root that is growing a tree that's producing rotten fruit. So let me preface all this by saying that I know in this room, uh, for the vast majority of us, I'm preaching to the choir and we all understand this, but uh, what I hope we take away is an understanding of how to call it out and help others through it. Um, much of the wider church doesn't function this way, and we'll continue to meet people who need, to be, need our help to be set free from um, some of these um, perhaps toxic things that have crept into the culture of churches. But first and foremost, uh, we must go to the Word before I rant. It's always a good start, and uh, we agreed beforehand in the prayer meeting that if you all heckle, this will be much more fun. So this might be amusing, but stick with me. We were punching these scriptures in uh, to the computer before with Dylan, and he's going, what? (laughs) Do these all really connect? But this is a bit of fun. So we're going to read the first verse from most of the letters of the New Testament. So Romans 1.1 says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. 1 Corinthians 1.1 says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. 2 Corinthians 1.1 says Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. I promise you this will all make sense. Galatians 1.1, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Ephesians 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, blah, blah, blah. Colossians 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. You can probably pick the next one. 1 Timothy one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Saviour and the Lord Jesus Christ our hope. 2 Timothy one are you sick of this yet? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. Titus 1 1. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. We might as well finish him off. Philemon 1 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 1 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And the last one Jude one 1-1, 1111 race 22112 uh, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. You're all going what on earth is he on about? These are just introductions to letters, but in themselves they contain a hint to one of the cultures of the kingdom. I want you to notice the order in which these greetings come in. Firstly there's a name, then a role or a function, Which is always submitted to Jesus. Now, somewhere along the line in church history, a lot of us got this flipped upside down. Paul, an apostle, became the Apostle Paul. Somewhere along the line, Bob, who happens to be a pastor as a function and a calling under Jesus, became Pastor Bob with a title and a position and one to be served, to be given honour, whether it's genuine or not. And submitted to. And then when this small thing that we think is petty is fully grown, this is how we end up with priests and popes and structures that put human beings in between us, lowly worms and a holy God. And it's not just the Catholics either. A lot of us may have experienced in Pentecostal circles uh, misconstrued <laughs> misconstrued scriptures, say that ten times fast, like don't touch the Lord's anointed or to elevate pastors and leaders to a place where they are immune to scrutiny and never to be questioned. Now, spoiler alert, we are all the Lord's anointed. If we say pastor as a title rather than a function, then we better apply that to everybody. So it's nice to see you, Electrician Lance. Builder Johnny. Retired bum Rob. We better all have a title. It's dumb. We don't do that. So please don't call me pastor. Also, don't call me pastor simply because Jesus said, don't do it. So let's flick over to Matthew 23, verse 8. Jesus says this, But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. Now we're going to read this again, but it's when we start to read these instructions in the context of the surrounding verses, we understand why Jesus thought this was so important. So from verse 1, Matthew 23, then Jesus said to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all of their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in synagogues, Greetings in the marketplaces and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. And Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted." If you really wanna feel the weight of these scriptures, just keep reading where Jesus gets really fired up. But I know what you're all asking, having read that, what the blazes is a phylactery? (laughs) And how do you say it? I don't know, did I say it right? I'm not sure. So I Googled it. (laughs) Bit of an intermission before we go on. Apparently in Jewish culture, a phylactery, have I said that right? Does anybody know how to say it? They'll do. Um, was a little leather pouch and it was worn on, on, on one's arm and it contained snippets of the Torah um, written on parchment and it was a cue or a reminder to what the law said and how to keep it. So what they're saying in this scripture is, look at my massive phylactery. I've got reams of paper in here. I know the law. I've got it all figured out. Look at it. <laughs> It's a very impressive phylactery, so that should be in our vernacular now as a church. My, look at your phylactery. Now we're all lost. Um, So don't call me pastor. So how did we end up here? Why has so much of the church ended up with all these titles and all this hierarchy? So before we look at the culture around us, we don't have to look far in the word to see that this isn't something new. This is not a new problem. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 8, the whole chapter, it's not very long. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel and Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all of the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now therefore heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behaviour of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, this will be the behaviour of a king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen. And some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over thousands and captains over fifties. will set some to plough his ground and reap his harvest. And some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks and bakers. And he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, your olive groves. Give them to his servants." He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to officers and servants. And he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men, your donkeys, and he will put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep and and you will be his servants. And you will cry out in that day because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, and the Lord will not heed you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and they said, No, but we will have a king over us, that we may also be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people and he repeated them in hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice and make them a king. I love the way this plays out. Israel demands a king. They want someone they can see. They want something new, something exciting. So Samuel goes to God and says, well, what am am I supposed to do with this? And God's answer is essentially, well, they're free to choose, but this is what will happen, so go and tell them that. So Samuel goes and tells them, and Israel sticks their fingers in the ears and says, la, 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 la! that sounds great, give us a king. And God says, okay, but no, so I didn't warn you. So coming forward to the here and now to today, so many of us are still looking for a king that we can see. We live in a world that's driven by celebrity culture, where we have multi-billion dollar marketing industries that are all trying to get into our heads and to tell us what to like and what to think. The world's systems and structure of leadership are all built on a hierarchy and control. And I think, whether we realise it or not, sometimes the church has tried to mash the cultures of the world together with the cultures of the kingdom and make something good out of it. Or take the best of the world and make it serve the kingdom. Or redeem that which was stolen by the world and make it work for the church. Israel's give us a king has become our modern day give us a celebrity Christian who we can see and idolise. Who we can place all our hopes and expectations on. And who we can be certain will never disappoint us. I was speaking to someone once who had been to a conference and... uh, Chris Tomlin was a guest worship leader there and the excitement that they came back with was I got to see Chris Tomlin I was sitting in the fourth row back and it was like I could reach out and touch him he was there and I just remember going oh wow first and foremost because I know Chris Tomlin would be horrified (laughs) but how did we end up here? have we just substituted our favourite magazine face for a Christian magazine face. And again, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but but you know, we get all excited when a famous person comes to Jesus. I'm thinking of Kanye West or Bieber or how someone cool has gotten saved and and then we all do this massive pile on about how God is going to obviously use them to make Jesus cool again, make him relatable to everybody. You know, guys, I'm pretty sure that Jesus just wanted their hearts. But our human culture of fame and celebrity is never going to play well with a Jesus who is looking for our surrender and our humility. Guys, it isn't working. We've got a problem. So while ever Satan is the ruler of this world, the cultures of the world are never going to be compatible with the kingdom. Jesus came to give us victory over the culture of the world to show us a totally new and a better way we can't expect to have a foot in both kingdoms and expect that they will play nicely together the kingdom of God always has been and always will be countercultural. the kingdom of the world is all about celebrity it's about getting ahead it's about hierarchy it's about submission to leadership about establishing control and one-upmanship these things don't work when we bring them into the church Guys, I'm tired. I'm tired and I'm kind of sad when we keep hearing all these stories of those who have fallen. All these role models who have dropped their bundle. And I'm not going to name any names, but there are so, so many. And it follows from there that there are so many people who are hurt and disappointed and have even abandoned their faith because their favourite celebrity Christian leader isn't all they wanted them to be. What a tragedy. And while we keep elevating them to this famous standing, the thing that strikes me is that in a fully realized Kingdom culture, we wouldn't even know their names, let alone their mistakes becoming news. So now what? What are we going to do about it? What has to change? And in understanding this, and this, forgive me, I might get ranty. In understanding this, we, we do have to manage all these things intentions, but really, Do we need all the big conferences and all the big events? Do we need all the marketing with the posters and the big names that draw a crowd? Come and see my gift or come and see my expensive sneakers? Do we have to have all the social media profiles? Do we need to follow our favorite preacher or Christian musicians every move? Who cares what they had for breakfast? Or which brands they endorse because they gave them free stuff to tell us all about? And this is important to me. When did worship become a marketable commodity? When did it become a genre of music? A category on Spotify? Or when did it become a career option if you don't make it in the country scene in Nashville? It's true, guys. It happens. And do we need all the books filled with someone else's latest revelation fed to us secondhand? rather than going to his word for our own firsthand, Do we just accept something as truth because of some bloke's name on the front cover? Why do we even need a name on the front cover? We only know the name because a marketing agency wants us to so they can sell more books. I might be getting judgy. So what if it's a New York Times bestseller because the distribution agency did some clever tricks with wholesale purchasing so that they could get the numbers up before it was even in the bookshops. It happens, guys. How did we end up with big names? How did the word celebrity ever become associated with ministry? How did fallible men and women find themselves in such lofty, elevated positions in our hearts and minds? And here's the rub. Well, we did it. I've done it. Like the Israelites, we still keep trying to build a throne and saying, Give us a king to sit on. Jesus said, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. But we fashion a yoke of lead weighed down with all the things of this world, with the gold, the glory, and the girls, and we expect a fallible human being to wear it. Then the world closes in and it becomes totally crushing but still the wearer is expected to carry it because they must keep up appearances. They convince themselves that they're just weak and can't hold it up, so they just have to go to God for more strength when all he expects of them is to just take it off. Then the world's yoke gets heavier and heavier until it breaks them and is any wonder. Then the media picks it up. And they spread it everywhere and we all talk to each other about how disappointed and let down we are that an imperfect person sinned, surprise, surprise. And now they've got to deal with it publicly under everyone's expert scrutiny. Instead of being in the privileged position that the rest of us are when we sin, and we all do, to just go to our gracious Father who deals lovingly with our hearts and doesn't broadcast it on Facebook. So what do we do about it all? How does it change? And again, I know I'm preaching to the converted, but how do we help those around us as well We'll navigate all of this in a better way? First and foremost, and primarily, we stay relentlessly and unapologetically focused on Jesus. We pursue his fame and his glory alone, and we check our hearts the moment that anything gets in the way of that. The risen, resurrected Jesus is not one who is going to share his throne with anybody else. He's standing there saying, get out of my chair. (laughs) You better move, because you're going to get out of his chair one way or another. (laughs) And then we actually do things differently. And I'm aware of not throwing out all the good with the bad. There are lots of good things. But perhaps we don't go to all the conferences with all of the big names and all of their merchandise and their huge attendance costs. Because a marketing video or a glossy brochure told us we should. Oh, getting cynical. But you know, we, we have things that look like conferences, and I guess they are in NCMI circles, but you know, we call them an equip. And the point is that we actually we come together in relationship to know each other and to pursue a common goal and to understand that we're part of something that's bigger than ourselves. And you know what? At an equip, there's never a name in the advertising. And very often, uh, you know, having been involved in these things, nobody actually knows who's going to speak in each session until just before the session because all the team guys and that will come prepared and they'll just get together and say, right, what's God saying? Who's got something? And they'll pray about it and then it happens. And then we watch and it takes all the pressure of what we create away. And look, NCMI is not perfect, but, but that's the stuff that can be helpful, you know, just change the way that we do things. We don't have to put Bob's name on the, on, the, um, on the brochure. Bob sucks. Yeah, poor Bob. I don't know any Bobs called that are pastors, so I went with that. You know, perhaps we spend less money on books and we spend more time in the Bible. And maybe I'm being too idealistic, but for those of us who are creative and musical... Perhaps when the next worship song comes from God, we write it down, we record it, and we never put our name on it. Could that be possible? Could that happen? You know, if we're we're struggling, we're finding things difficult, perhaps we just go straight to the Father. And not to our favourite preacher's podcast library. And then, flowing from that, perhaps once we're less busy doing all that stuff, we might actually have some time to represent Jesus in our community. We might have time to join the SES or the Fire Brigade or or be where people who need to know him actually are. And we realise that the role of pastor isn't to have a title to be submitted to, but it is to equip all the saints for the work of the ministry in their sphere of influence. Together we are submitted to Jesus as the head of the church. He is the only one worthy of a title. He is the king, so please don't call me pastor. I firmly believe that the next wave of revival is going to flow through every saint, surrendered to Jesus, fully alive in who he is calling them to be. It's probably not going to come through a person or a leader or an event or any name up in lights other than Jesus. The lost will discover Jesus as all Christians live fully in him. Now this revival is probably not gonna come to an end because there won't be an idol or a name or a structure or a organization that's been promoted that God has to tear down. There will be one attraction. Just like the woman at the well in John four, saying come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Come and see Jesus doesn't need any help from the marketing department. He doesn't need a massive event. He needs every follower of Jesus just saying, come and see. Let me introduce you to the one who holds my life and my eternity. Let me tell you the miraculous things that he did for me and let's ask him to do some for you. Let him heal your hurting heart. Let him show you the height, depth and width of his love for you. It's about small adjustments that grow into big cultural shifts. It starts with not calling us pastor. It's about the motivation of our hearts. When we elevate Jesus, the only one who deserves to be elevated, then we can navigate this in love and grace. We have the Holy Spirit to help us filter the good from the noise and to separate the heart and the hype and to receive whatever is good, lovely, holy and throw out the rest. So maybe it is just a small petty thing But please, don't call me pastor. We thank you, Jesus, for the fact that you are the risen King. That you are, and we just declare this morning again, that you are the one that we look to. And Lord, would you filter our hearts? Would you continue to purify us? Would you continue to set us free, Lord, of the yokes, of the burdens, of the things that we carry, that we've put on, that you never asked us to? Would you identify where we've added stuff that's unhelpful to what you're doing? And this is just one thing, but there might be many others. And Lord, may may we just continue to walk forward as a church, relentlessly and completely focused on you, on hearing your voice, on being free in you. Free from all the stuff. And Lord, this next wave of revival, may we it in the hands of every Christian, of every follower of you, of every saint. We are all saints. Ministering to those around us, to our friends, to our neighbours, to our workmates. And we thank you, God, that that is a revival that isn't going to come to an end because it doesn't have a focal point other than you, Jesus Christ. So we worship you this morning. We thank you that you're changing our hearts. And if any of that is my ranting, Lord, may it wash off. But Lord, as we prayed in the prayer meeting beforehand, may your rain come and wash away the things that we've added. We ask you in Jesus' name, heal our hearts. Amen. Are we okay? (laughs) Well, thanks for coming out.